Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Welcome to Publishing Lane with your host, Margie Lane Klubine, Executive Director of Write Integrity Press. Hello and welcome to Publishing Lane. I'm Margie Lane Klubine and I'm the Executive uh, Editor of Write Integrity Press. We are finishing up our series on key elements of great fiction tonight. We have had such a wonderful last few months, and we have had author and freelance editor Faye Lamb with us, and she is also our guest again this month. We just might need to make this a more permanent arrangement. I'm having so much fun with her. Hi, Faye. Hi, Margie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Yay! Well, speaking of great fiction, I want to share some outstanding fiction with you listeners. On Sunday, we have a special sale starting for the romantic suspense book, Better Than Revenge. Speaking of Faye Lamb, this is one of her treasures. This book is excellent. It has a strong theme of hope and redemption, but it also has lots of action and adventure and suspense throughout. Oh, and romance. Yeah, we got to put a little of that in too, just because it's fun. Now, the ebook is going to be only 99 cents next week, starting on Sunday. You do not want to miss that. It's going to be on Amazon. It's called Better Than Revenge. And speaking of sales, the week right after that, right before Christmas, we're going to offer the very same special for, oh my gosh, this deeply moving romance. It's set in a missionary hospital in Africa. Joan Denis writes with heart and spirit in this poignant story of love and friendship it's wonderful it's called saving eric and it goes on sale on december 18th through the 24th so it's a special christmas sale for you again the ebook is only 99 cents that's like 80 cents 80 percent off 80 percent off not 80 cents off 80 percent off of the of the original price of that so don't miss those books Speaking of sales, this week we have a sale going on too, and this one's not just one story, it's a whole collection of stories. Um, It's called The Extraordinary Presence of God by Ann White, um, Ann Ann Knowles, no, Ann White Knowles, let me get it straight, I don't have it in front of me, Ann White Knowles, The Extraordinary Presence of God, and it's full of personal stories about how the Lord has impacted our lives. And again, it's only 99 cents for all of those stories. Um, fresh perspectives to encourage you as you go into this holiday season right there on Amazon. And then I have one more announcement. Today, this very day, happy birthday, we have a brand new book coming out today, or that has come out, that has released today. It's called Glimpses of Prayer. It's by Harriet E. Michael and uh, Shirley Crowder and Harriet started the prayer project with prayer, It's Not About You, back in May. Uh, I guess it was last year. No, it was a couple of years ago, back in May. And her lifelong friend, Shirley Crowder, created a Bible study for that same. And it's the second element of what's now become the prayer project. These two have teamed up for Glimpses of Prayer. And it's a devotional guide to carry you through 50 different types of prayers in the Bible, Uh, 50 different, uh, 25 from the Old Testament, 25 from the New Testament. It's such a great book, great devotional series. And then next year, they're going to complete this project with the anthology of prayer. I'm so excited about that one, too. But today still, you can get their book, Glimpses of Prayer, it's an, at an introductory price of only two ninety nine. Now tomorrow, it's gonna increase back to the regular price. So get it today while you can. It's just the ebook that's on sale, but at least the ebook's on sale. Of course, you can also get it in print. It's available in print today as well. And I'm so excited to them. Congratulations, Harriet. Congratulations, Shirley. They did an amazing job on this devotional, and you will love it. You will love it. Oh my gosh. It is already December. 
Can you believe it's already December, Faye? <laughs> no. <laughs> we just got through with Thanksgiving. <laughs> now we have I to mean, go through Christmas. You know? <laughs> well, I can tell you, at least here in Texas, now I know there, where you are in Florida, Faye, it just never feels quite like December, but at least no, here in Texas, today, it feels like December. Now, yesterday, it was 79 degrees. It was not December, but today... We're down at 55 and it feels like December. I'm actually considering making a fire in my fireplace. I am so excited that December is finally here. And, and you know what else? No, <laughs> and we're not going to send it to Florida. No, I don't think the people of Florida would appreciate it if we sent you our 55 degrees. But I will tell you what's really, really cool about this month. It is, it marks our first year on Blog Talk Radio. Publishing Lane is fully a year old after we finish today's show. We have done a Happy full 12 birthday. shows. Happy birthday to us. That's just too much fun. Um, but I got to tell you, I don't know how you do your December. Our December has started off with a huge bang. We had a house full of teenagers decorating our house and watching uh, it's a Wonderful Life this weekend. I love that movie. Do you love that movie? I love that movie. It's the only one that I really want to sit down and watch. I just haven't had time yet. Oh, I love that. Now, actually, I have several of my favorite movies. I love White Christmas. Okay, I'm going to tell a secret. I love The Christmas Story. I know that you're like, oh, my gosh, you're supposed to be a church person. and not, Yeah, I do, though. I love The Christmas Story. I laugh my head off over that all the time. My family quotes it all the time. I turn so it what on is to your... aggravate my husband. <laughs> <laughs> he does not like it. <laughs> he does not like it. Uh, I, it's just too much fun. So what is your favorite Christmas movie, Faye? Or do you have one favorite or a bunch of favorites? I think my my favorite is It's a Wonderful Life, but I also like The Family Man with Nicolas Cage, and I think it's uh -huh. Tia Leone. I, I love that story about this man. It's kind of like It's a Wonderful Life where he gets to see what life was like without um, the woman he really wanted to, to marry, and they just went their own ways, and he gets to go back in time and see how life would be like with her. So it's similar to It's a Wonderful Life. Well, I tell you, you know, this time of year, I don't know if you do Hallmark Channel, say, but we just binge on Hallmark movies. And we love their mysteries. We love their, we like their movies, not the ones that make me cry because goodness knows I only need a McDonald's commercial to make me really tear up. But <laughs> as, as far as the Christmas movies, I just love them. I mean, we record them and watch them over and over and over again. We have so much fun with the Hallmark Christmas movies. It is hard nowadays to choose a favorite movie because, gosh, I think Hallmark has to have over 100 Christmas music movies that they play every year. But they're fun yeah, to watch. It's something good for them. And I, I think it's it's nice and they're clean and they're refreshing. I just haven't had time to sit down with them this year. So I haven't haven't seen a one of them, but maybe I will over when my husband takes a break for Christmas. So. Well, and I tell you, I only got to binge watch a little bit last week because I was sick. Yes, listeners, I was so sick. I was flattened, but I was sitting and watching Hallmark movies. And then last weekend, the weekend before that, I was making book covers. And I can do that with the, with the TV on. So that's just too much fun to be able to do that. Today, we have an amazing topic. I, we're finishing our elements. We have been going through all the different elements of a story, and I love this topic. I love talking about writing and talking about stories anyway, but Faye, you had an excellent way of describing all of these different elements. Would you share that with us again? Sure. Uh, first of all, we spoke about the first few elements of story in terms of driving. We had our plot. Of course, that's the vehicle driving the manuscript. And you know, every car has to have an accelerator. Our plot vehicle has one as well. But when we um, speak about our plot vehicle, we don't include a brake. It just has an accelerator and maybe a decelerator to slow down the pacing is, is what the accelerator decelerator does. Then we, um, we either ease up on the accelerator or push it down to the floorboard, depending upon the pacing necessary for your genre. If you have thrillers or suspense, sometimes the 
the pace has to pick up and be fast. Sometimes you want to draw out the suspense so you go a little bit slower. But you have to consider that pacing for your genre and, and specific themes for any kind of novel. Then we have, um, I have got here, um, we have a break in our, we do not have a break in our plot vehicle because the plot vehicle is always moving forward. And as we discussed, the story should never stop and slam the reader into the past. Instead, the past must be brought to the forward story via deep point of view or dialogue. Um, we then indicated that the fuel of our plot vehicle is conflict, which we're going to talk about a little bit uh, more tonight. So those were our car analogies. Right. And then we also had, of course, the passengers in the car. And those were yes. our characters, yes. right? You yes. know, we started yes. we started with um, those passengers. Um, we We originally started the series we were going to talk about content editing but it really turned into the key elements of a story because even before you get to the editing your writing has to already be there the the those key editing pieces already have to kind of be there and so that very first night uh gosh i think it was in september um we talked about characters we talked about the the passengers in our car and how to how to develop them and how to set them up um, listeners, if you guys want to listen to that, it was September 20th, uh, I'm sorry, September 2017. That show was titled Keys to Great Fiction, and you can find it if you go to the Blog Talk Radio main page and do a search for Publishing Lane. Now, when you search Publishing Lane, remember that Lane is my middle name, L-A-I-N-E, and so it's not just the Lane as in street, it's L-A-I with an I-N-E. Um, so search for Publishing Lane, and it'll bring up all of our Publishing Lane um, episodes, and choose the September one. That's the very first one that we did, and we did it on character, and boy, we went deep. But i got to tell you, in October, we went even deeper, because we talked about deep POV. If you don't know what deep point of view is, you need to go back to our October show, because it, it we gave specifics on how to really put on the skin of the main character, how to experience the scene through that main character's eyes. Um, we also talked about a common instruction. And if you're a writer, and, and probably most of you guys listen to this are writers, if you're a writer, you've heard this before. I know I've heard it before. Show instead of tell. Faye, have you ever heard that before? Oh, I mean, I, I know. Every writer's conference. Yeah, I'm about to say, I, I know you probably tell people that because you're an editor, but at the same time, I know I tell people that, but I also heard that before from my critiquers mm -hmm. and from my editors saying, uh-uh, no, 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 SVT, show instead of tell, um, show versus tell in that case. That was our October episode, and it was also called, it was called More Keys to Great Fiction. It's episode two, and the November topic, we talked about plot, the car, the the vehicle itself, and pacing, how to get that accelerator going slow and fast through it. Um, and it's also called More Keys to Great Fiction, but this time it's episode three. And now tonight, we're going to round it out with dialogue and conflict. Now, both dialogue and conflict are essential. Like Faye said, though, the conflict is the gas. And so let's start with this one. Faye, tell us what you think on it. Well, we started talking about this last month, and I remember you brought up a great analogy, and it flowed right into our plot vehicle scenario. You indicated that conflict is like a mountain road. The plot vehicle will keep climbing and climbing, always getting higher. And I added to that the little mountain pass that at some point will converge with the main mountain road, and we called those yeah, I remember. plots. Yeah, I yeah and we, that. we, yes, and we want to make sure that our our listeners who are writers that they make no mistake. Even if you have a subplot, the conflict must build until we reach a climax with those subplots, and the subplots have to converge into that main um, conflict. Our subplots can't stand alone. And I, w I don't know that we talked much about a, con a climax because I always misunderstood a climax. I always thought it had to be the very end of the novel. 
where it can yeah. be. It can be where everything happens and then it everything then smooothes out. But a climax is what blows the truth of the story apart. And I'm going to talk about that more when we discuss um, my favorite movie in a minute. But okay. the truth about a conflict is that you can that you can add to the mountain's height or start the climb down as the plot and merging subplots begin to smooth out into flat terrain. The climax allows you to get to that point where all the truths are there. Now you have to start putting out the problems or taking care of the problems as you head down the mountain path. Um, I, and when we talked about this, I really kept thinking about my old boss and he used to sit around with us and tell us a story and I thought, of this great story that he would always tell, and it reminded me of your analogy. Uh -huh. and his last name was K-A-N-E, and he and his wife were in Colorado. They had no cl time clock to be any there, anywhere. They were on vacation, and somehow Tom says he got off on some mountain road. This mountain road kept climbing and climbing. Their car was working hard to keep going forward. This is conflict. You can't, your characters have to push through the conflict. But on the side of the road, he said it was, there was a steep drop off. His wife was begging him to turn around. And Tom was always, he was so funny. He would tell, I was so stubborn. And besides, there was no place I could turn around. And then he swears, and I know this was an exaggeration, that the car was so slanted it could have tipped over backwards. And he lost traction as it started to do just that, and then boom, the car slammed down with all four, four of his wheels on the ground, and when they blinked and opened their eyes, they were in a graveyard, and the tombstone in front of them read, and he was not kidding, K-A-N-E. Oh, now, my gosh. That's a climax. I bet any writer who's hearing this story is already working on more conflict to come. Because remember, they still have to get off that mountain. <laughs> and that, that story, when we talked about that last week, that story has just rang in my ears. And I wanted to share it with your readers. So that's a good way of looking at how conflict goes up. And then, boom, you land down and you see your name on a tombstone. So how, what are oh you going to do to get out of that? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, that example puts my example to just shame because I was thinking about White Christmas. I was thinking about, you know, the movie White Christmas. From the beginning, there is, there's conflict between the two main characters. Danny Kay wants to take a break, just 45 minutes. And he says to Bing Crosby, or he thinks about if Bing Crosby gets married and has nine kids and he spends just five minutes a day with his kids, that's 45 minutes of a break for me. And so he wants to take a break. Bing Crosby is an uptight producer who's looking for the next big thing. And so he is a businessman all the way. He doesn't want a break. And the two of them are partners. And so there's constant conflict in that. And inner two women who distract and then a little bitty sprinkle of misunderstanding and a little assumption and this conflict just literally crackles across the dance floor in the very first scene when they meet these two women. Um, it, it's, it's actually hysterical because Danny Kaye and his partner thinks that Bing Crosby and his partner are get al getting along just fine, whereas the truth is Bing Crosby and his partner are just they're like cats. They're bristled. It, it's, it's really kind of funny when you get to it, which, of course, it's a comedy, and I love comedies anyway. Every scene in that movie has another issue. It has an inn that's about to go bankrupt. It has um, a, a general who, is, uh, who, is, who has been reduced, even in his own eyes, and thinking that he's not very special anymore. It has... Uh, people misunderstanding it has women that are that are you know trying to get dates and they're not getting dates it's just constant conflict but of course they all end up in a positive way but then the others will add more pressure to the situation the characters change their goals change their values change their fears change through conflict good conflict that's going to happen to the characters um, yeah. Main characters don't always change in a story, but most of the best of today's fiction 
have characters that grow in some way. And the conflict is like, is like the source of protein that enables that growth. And White Christmas is a good example of this. The characters, all four of the main characters, change just a tad in White Christmas because of the conflicts that they were enduring. Without that change, the main characters are going to kind of stagnate. And the last thing you want is stagnated characters. That doesn't mean you don't have a story, but without having characters that change, your story is not going to be nearly as memorable. It's those memorable characters and, and their conflicts and their change that is going to, uh, how they overcome the different conflicts that's going to cement them into the reader's head. Don't you think so? I, I do think so. Um, you never want to leave your readers feeling like they're in a stagnant swamp going nowhere. Um, I'm going to, there used to be a book club, a very popular book club, and I would read the books and I would think these are not good books. I don't know why this person is recommending these books because their characters are no better off at the, at the end of the movie than they were at the beginning of the movie. And some uh -huh. might say that's realism. That's not what readers want. Readers want to see some something good happen, some change happen in their characters. Yeah, and it, at least at least some change. Now it doesn't. Mm -hmm. it, it's not necessarily for me. I want something good, but not all readers are like me. I totally understand that. That's why there's dystopian. But those characters still change, even in yeah. um, in yeah. the the Hunger Games. Now. I, Hunger Games is a good example, and I, I know the, the first two books, my son particularly, the first two books, my son loved it. He got to that third book, and he was just like, kill me now. But still, the character changed. It wasn't necessarily a happy, 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 joy, joy change, but the character did change in that story. Um, Wuthering Heights is another example. Those characters change in that book. Now, to me, that is the biggest drudgery. I know some people are going to be going, oh my gosh, I'm never going to speak to her. I'm never going to listen to her again. I'm sorry. Wuthering Heights was just not my favorite because I like happy endings and that was not a happy ending. It just wasn't. <laughs> but at the same time, the characters did change and that's why those characters are so memorable. I mean, yeah, I even know the name. He's Cliff. Charlotte. I, or, uh, no, it wasn't Charlotte. What was this? What was her name? Catherine. I can't. Catherine, thank Catherine. you. I, yeah. And so I, I even remembered, well, I remembered Heathcliff's name, sorry. But <laughs> he was memorable, even if I didn't necessarily like the ending to the story. And it was because of those conflicts that made the change in the characters, that made those characters change. Yes. Yes. And, and I think Catherine... Um, Heathcliff is like the ultimate brooding hero, too. I think mm -hmm, that's why mm -hmm. most readers, they love that brooding hero that's in, that's in Heathcliff. Well, and we want, we want the readers to be breathless when they're done. Yeah. So intent that they climb the mountain with the characters, right? Yes, they, they do. They do. That's, that's what you want. And and I wanted to talk about a movie that I use to teach conflict. I actually use it to teach every element that we've talked about. But mainly when I, the first time I saw it, I watched it and I said, there's not one scene in this movie that is not conflict filled. So there's, so then there became another reason for me to love the movie other than the fact that Elizabeth Taylor's white dress is like one of my my favorite dresses in the whole world. Um, okay, now what movie is a, this? It's called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, okay. Okay, with okay I'm, I'm familiar. And, and yes. the, book, the book is about Bricky and Maggie Pollitt and their marriage trouble. But we find as the conflict escalates that the story is much deeper and we learn the depth of this story and, and all of this all through conflict. We see uh -huh. from the opening scene that Brick is an alcoholic and he's trying to relive, relive his glory days. But as the story escalates, we see that something else stands in the way of Brick and Maggie's marriage. 
Brick's best friend. And throughout uh, the opening scenes, we watch as Maggie tries to get Brick to listen to her about the truth. But Brick isn't hearing about it in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't want to talk about it. They even, he almost hits Maggie with his crutch because he's broken his leg. So we're wondering uh, at this point, we don't know. We know the guy's name is Skipper. We don't know where he is. We don't know what's, what he and Maggie have done that have made Brick so cynical and angry. Then we uh -huh. have those escalating subplots, and they include Brick's father, Big Daddy, and his brother, Gooper, and sister-in-law, whom they call Sister Woman. I love uh Tennessee Williams' Southernism. <laughs> he just pulls yeah. the names out. But Big yeah. Daddy is sick, and Gooper and Sister Woman, the conflict escalates because they want all his millions and his land for themselves. And we see very quickly that they're moving in on this territory and they're really trying to undermine any love that Big Daddy has for Brick. But there's a conflict with that because Big Daddy only sees Brick. And then there's mm -hmm. Maggie. She wants a piece of the pie and she's not about to let anyone take it from her and Brick. But the problem is Brick only wants one thing from Big Daddy and it isn't his money. So uh -huh. with the growing subplots, we learned that everything that is wrong in Brick and Maggie's marriage and in Brick's relationship with his brother and sister-in-law, it all has everything to do with Big Daddy. And we learned that Big Daddy's way of dealing with his sons has brought on Goofer's animosity against Brick and Brick's ambivalence about his inheritance. You see where uh, all this conflict is going? And yes, the state yes. Then remember, wow. we talk, I just talked about the con the climax, and uh -huh. it's um, that's when the story, when things blow up, the truth just comes out. Now, the first climax, climax, there's more than one in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. If you watch the movie, it comes early in Act Two. This is when Big Daddy demands and gets an answer from Maggie about the man that came between her and Brick. And it's an explosion that drops. I mean, it just goes boom and fireballs fly all over the place. There, oh, there's wow. a twist at the end of that scene that has Rick trying to get away because now he's learned the truth and Maggie's made him face the truth about himself, which is also uh -huh. an internal conflict. Boom. There's another climax in the very next scene where Brick tells Big Daddy something he didn't know. So now there's wow. more fires burning around the family and the screenwriter has the job of, now remember we're in the, maybe the first two acts of the, uh -huh. uh, or the first two scenes of act two. Now the screenwriter's got to put out all these plays, all of these problems. And because uh -huh. there's still a lot more for the audience to learn. How is Big Daddy going to handle his news? Is the truth going to end end or bring bliss to Brick and Maggie's marriage? Can Brick get the one thing he wants from Big Daddy? Will Gooper and Sister Woman inherit everything or will Big Daddy leave it all to Brick? And as the plot vehicle starts down that mountain, the scriptwriter very adeptly puts out every fire and the plot vehicle comes to a very smooth and satisfying ending. The best thing about the story, though, is that not one moment of the story is without conflict. Not one moment. The conflict level is sometimes it's an undercurrent, and other times the characters are in each other's faces. And sometimes the conflict is even so heavy that the screenwriter introduces something that I think writers need to learn how to do. It's a little br a breather. And a in little this breather, movie, yeah breather it comes in the way of comedy uh, brick and maggie are fighting brick has almost knocked maggie down and brick falls on the floor and a little girl comes in with a gun bang 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 and she asks why is why is uncle brick on the floor and he says because i tried to kill your aunt maggie and then you <laughs> laugh but at the same time you see, when the little girl walks out that she says something that hurts Maggie so deeply and you see it on Elizabeth Taylor's face and she and so there's this conflict thing that just keeps going and you're rooting for the, this couple you really want to see them come together and real quickly in one of my conferences where I was teaching this class 
uh-huh. we were talking just now talking about character arcs. This is something uh-huh. I never realized. And one of one of my students said there are two people in this movie that never change, and that is perfect. Maggie, because she always had the truth, and she never she never sidestepped it. And Sister uh-huh. Woman, she never changed from being greedy and trying to get over on them. But everyone else around her changed, Gooper and Brick and Big Daddy. And you see how this change affects this family. So if you really want to study conflict or any element of of fiction, get Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and sit down and watch it. You can't, the screenwriter uses every element that we should use in our fiction writing. You know, I know I have seen, I know I have seen that movie before. But it had to have been at least 10 years ago, probably even 20 years ago since I've seen it. And just hearing you go through it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need to watch this movie again. Because, I, of course, when I watch movies, I'm just in La La Land. But I, <laughs> that just sounds so exciting. And I wasn't writing back when I when I had first watched this movie. I wasn't writing, so I wasn't doing any analysis or anything like that. Uh, nowadays, even when I'm watching the Avenger movies, I'm sitting there analyzing character. I just get so yes. tickled with that. But, you know, you had you had a point there about the fact that there was conflict on every page or in every scene. <clears throat> the best fiction has, okay, hear me. The best fiction, and I'm talking to the readers, not Faye, because Faye already knows this. The best fiction has conflict on every page. I am not exaggerating. There has to be conflict on every single page so that as you do a page turn, there's something else going on. doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a different conflict, but there has to be conflict every time. Think of it like a tension rod, okay, like a curtain rod. You have to have some tension in the rod to keep it wedged between the sides of the window. If you don't have tension, the rod's going to fall, right? But if you have too much tension, the rod's going to bend and ruin it completely. The same goes for your novel. And this goes to what Faye was talking about with a little breather of comedy. The tension makes it interesting. It keeps the reader engaged. It keeps them turning every page. You have to keep that tension taut through every single page of your book. That doesn't need, mean it has to be high tension on every page. It just has to be there. It has to have an element of conflict. And yes, you have to have it loose enough to where there has to be a breather. If you keep mm-hmm. it constant and high, then your reader is gonna get exhausted. I mean, and I'm not joking. Some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've read some in tense suspense and there's no uh there's no breather there's no letdown you get to the end of the book and you're like (sighs) and you feel like you've run a marathon because there was no break so you the best fiction is not only going to have conflict on every page but you are going to have some and when i say break i'm not talking about a car break you are going to have some uh breathers I guess that's the best way of putting it. An exhale it's, it's somewhere. Lighter conflict. It, it's lighter conflict or it's just something that comes into the middle of the conflict that takes the reader away from it for a second, like the little girl coming into the room and, and asking the question. It just allows the reader that moment to gather themselves and, and yes. then to get back. And it also makes the conflict, especially if you're writing drama, Something like that makes the conflict more poignant. Uh huh. I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, I saw another movie, and of course, <laughs> this one was a Hallmark movie. Now, it was based on a book, but I love the Hallmark movies, and this is one of my favorites. Um, it's an, a, another example of this constant state of conflict. It was a romance, and the main character was taking her niece and nephew from New York. They were rather poor. Um, she was now their guardian because their parents had been killed in a car accident and she was taking them to visit their grandfather who was some kind of an archduke in an imaginary European nation and the duke had wanted the kids there for Christmas but he didn't want anything around him to change and so he's bringing a teenager and a 
a little one, an elementary school kid, into his home and expecting everything to be normal. And so he gets upset when things aren't normal because, of course, with kids, everything's going to change. The household manager doesn't want them there at all. Uh, the kids have their own personal issues that keep cropping up, uh, giving more reason for them to come home. And then there's a romantic aspect. Uh, the grandfather's other son has a gold digger who's already set her sights on him. And yet he is befriending this main character. And so she is constantly digging into the main character. There are other people who are snubbing the main character. There are financial issues because the main character still doesn't have any money. And so every, every little scene addresses one conflict or another until they literally all come to a head near the end of the movie. Um, and, and then, of course, it reaches resolution because all Hallmark, Hallmark movies end happy, which is why I love them. But it, <laughs> it is, yeah. But, but they all kind of compound on one another, even though they're all coming from different areas. Like Faye was talking about, those side roads, they still have to come together. Um, the conflicts still have to come together at that climax. Um, and it, it is hard to do sometimes, but that's where they have to come to reach resolution. And, and it should be a consistently a consistent conflict that builds. Yes, pound more things on top of it because that makes the reader, I mean, they feel what these characters go, are going through. You talked about all the things that are, are adding to the conflict. We need that. Um, that's kind of, it, it puts the high octane full, uh, fuel in your, your plot vehicle and it moves it forward. But there's right. something that some writers do and they need to know, probably this is why they're not being picked up by publishers or whatever. Their car sputters as it travels. And I call that contrived conflict. An author brings in a conflict, resolves it, and I've seen it resolved in the same line, and I'm not exaggerating. Then the author brings <laughs> in another to. conflict and resolves it, and then on and on. It keeps conflict resolution, conflict resolution. If a conflict can be resolved before the end of the book, it isn't strong enough to be in the book. And, and that's... You have, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, sometimes... Go ahead. If you have the little issues, pound them on, like you said about your story. Pound them exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And now that, that doesn't mean that. No, 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 no. That doesn't mean that every single issue has to be resolved all at the same time. It's like Faye no. was saying. Sometimes the climaxes for the different issues come all throughout that second half. But, but at the same time, they can't be. If if you have. If you have this issue come up and then it's resolved, then this issue come up and then it's resolved, you don't have a story, you have a bunch of episodes. And yeah. and that gets very frustrating on the editor end. Um, when I'm choosing books, when I know when you're editing books, it gets very frustrating because there's no real, true, overlying plot if all you have are a bunch of little bitty problem resolutions all the way through a, a, a story has to have a strong problem at the beginning and that problem needs to carry all the way over until the end of the story and all the other little conflicts need to pile on top of that or build it up either supporting it or piling on top of it one or the other that doesn't mean that some of the other res uh, some of the other issues can't be resolved of course they can a little at a time, but not right away. Because like Faye said, if you have, um, oh my gosh, she can't go to the ball. Oh yes, she can. Here, here's her dress. I mean, that's that didn't happen with Cinderella. She couldn't go to the ball. And she couldn't go to the ball. And then it was resolved, but it caused another problem. Her overlying problem was the fact that she was mistreated by her, her stepmother and her stepsisters. That was the problem in the story. All the rest of it were little bitty things, and they piled up on top of that, but they weren't resolved right away. They were resolved over a period of time. And so, anyway, I'm going into 
fairy tales now. Let's move on to our final topic because we've got, oh, I'm looking at it. We've got about 20 minutes, which take away the last couple of minutes. We've got about mm, 17, 18 minutes left, and we have got exactly the right amount of time to talk about our final element and that of a well-written dialogue. Now, I started to just say dialogue. The truth of the matter is dialogue is not the key element of a great story. Well-written dialogue is the key element of a great story. And that definition will change between editors, agents, and readers what well-written actually means. Dialogue is basically the talking that's done by the characters. And it really carries a good story. Now, that doesn't mean it's the only thing. You can't do the action through dialogue. I have seen so many people try and do that. Oh, I'm going to go to the store now. Let me go out this door. No, 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 no. Please don't do that. Just just tell me what you're going to do. You know, and, and he went to the store out the side door. Great. I don't need to know. I don't need him to announce it to, to nobody or to himself internally. That doesn't work. There are two main kinds of, of dialogue, though, just Speaking of that, there is the dialogue between characters, but then there's also the internal monologue. And the internal monologue is, is actually kind of the narration, because when you are in a main character in their head, in their point of view, we've talked about deep point of view. If you didn't catch deep point of view, go back to the October segment. You need to hear it because it is so important in novel writing today. Um, if you are in the head of someone, then everything you're reading, all of the action, everything is coming through the filters of that character. So it's all internal monologue. Um, and, and this is what I mean by internal monologue. Back when I was in school, internal monologue would be, um, to be honest, and, and Faye, Faye has given me a note that says it would be in italics, but I remember seeing it in my reader's. It would be in quotations, and then it would be he thought or she thought. And then it became to where it was in italics, but it would still say he thought mm -hmm. or she thought. And I have to tell you, um, that is – let me well, let me just give you an example of that. Okay. Now, follow me. This is like I'm reading it out of a book. The girl wrestled with the decision as she tied her shoes. If I go to the party, she thought, I'll have to buy a gift. While not a big problem, her hatred for shopping made the baseball game look even better to her, even if she couldn't play. She looked at her injured knee and wished she hadn't hurt it. However, the smell of the baseball field was better than the icky sweet of a birthday cake. And I can still yell at the game, she told herself. Now, in that, I have two internal monologues, and that is so shallow of a POV. Frankly, I'm a narrator telling the story, and once in a while, the little girl inserts her own thoughts. That is not the way today's genre, genre fiction is written. It's just not. Here is that same situation in today's deeper POV. And Faye, I bet you could probably do this better than I am, but I'm going to give it a shot. No, I loved, I loved your example. Oh, okay, good. Okay, the girl tied on her shoes. How could she choose? If she went to the party, she'd have to buy a gift. That meant, ugh, shopping. That was worse than the party itself. No way she'd spoil her Saturday at the mall. Even with her bum knee, the smell of a rain-rinsed baseball field was way better than the icky sweet of a birthday cake. And if she couldn't play, she could still cheer with the best of them. Now, I haven't given a single she thought. I haven't given a single anything except just the plain narrative but because it's straight through her brain it is the internal monologue what do you think Faye well I, I think that that was excellent because I was right there with your example your last example I was right there with her I was I was trying to make that decision with her see where I'm going to go and I'm going to be very frank overdone internal monologue is the tool of an amateur it's almost uh -huh. today's omniscient point of view. It's a uh -huh. shortcut and it ruins a good piece of fiction because in the end, what internal dialogue is, is actually telling and it's not showing. And 
I'm not saying there's not a place for it. It's like an exclamation point. Use it seldom, if at all, in a manuscript, and only when it really, really, really needs a special emphasis. Sometimes we want to draw our reader's eyes to this special thing that's going on. And that italics, if it's not throughout your novel, will make the reader, without even knowing it, they'll know it's important. And of course, uh -huh. I, I always beat up on internal monologue, but I want to ensure um, writers, silent prayer should always be in italics. You're always and you're let me, talking, to, talking to God. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking to God. Now, let me let me clarify what Faith's talking about. When she's talking about internal monologue, um, writers, she is talking about the times when you use italics to reflect mm -hmm. direct thoughts of the main character. She's not talking about what I was talking about when the whole narrative seems to be an internal monologue. That's That's not wrong. It, because it's not an italics. It's just it's just that it's focused so deeply into the main character that it goes through their filters. But it is still the narrative. What Faye's talking about is yeah. when, um, uh, what was it? I was reading a manuscript just the other day, and the uh, gosh, there was a whole paragraph. In fact, there were two or three paragraphs that were all internal monologue where they were all italicized because the girl was thinking to herself, gee, if I do this, then I'll have to do this, and maybe I should do this instead, and, da -da 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 -da. and she's, she's thinking it all to herself, and she's speaking it into her head. Folks, yes. when you're trying to make a decision, you don't speak all those words into your head, do you? I mean, you're just thinking of the different items, this or this, but you're not speaking into your head, gee, maybe I should think about going to this place, or maybe I should go to this place. You don't think all those words in your head. And so we don't need to write those, because as a main character, what you're doing is you need to share the conflict or share the decision, share the internal feelings or whatever through the narrative, but not in italics as direct thought. And say, in my opinion, the only time I think direct thoughts should be used or internal monologues should be used in those italics, besides, like you said, the silent prayer, are when there is a gut reaction. Like um, yeah. someone told me one time um, that scripture, and yes, this is a Christian program, so I can actually talk about scripture. Woohoo! That scripture in Matthew that talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this the, this Bible study teacher, she was so awesome. She was describing what it meant to, you know, really meditating on what is the heart, what is the soul, what is the mind, what is the strength. And she defined the soul as what you say when you hit your thumb with a hammer. Because it's the... <laughs> Yeah, because it's the deepest part of you. And that's what I think of when I think of internal monologue. It is it is a gut reaction. And I'm not talking about a visceral reaction. I'm talking about an actual thought. If if somebody almost hits my car, I'm going to say, oh, my gosh. And I may not actually say that out loud, but I will actually think that in my head. I will think those words in my head. Or, oh, my gosh, he almost hit me. I will actually think those words in my head. And that is what is okay to be an internal monologue. And mm -hmm. it, But more than that, you're just telling the story like Faye said. You're doing it cheaply, and you're doing it as telling rather than showing. Um, yes. Most of the time, the the internal monologue, I will, and, and this is something that I do when I edit, is I will say, oh, not here, not here, no, and I'll just do one word at a time, like yes with an exclamation point, or no, please, or, you know, please would work, please, God, that works, you know, something like that. Those are internal monologue things, but as, as Faye said, this needs to be so important that you never use it. And that's for two reasons. Okay, now I'm going to get really specific here. That internal monologue, those italics do not need to be used except for very special things. One, like Faye said, to show that it's really, really important or really, really special, really, really rare for a good reason. But two, folks, italics is hard to read, particularly on Kindle. 
it is really hard to read on those Kindle e-readers. Kindle and Nook and all the rest of the e-readers, it's just hard on the eyes. And so you have to think about your audience and the fact that they've got their readers on and they've got their their um, their uh, the size of their fonts turned up. And when it goes into those slanted lines, it is harder to read on their eyes. And so don't slow them down by putting a lot of it in there. Just practically put it in there with very rare sprinkles. Okay, I think I went on a little longer than I meant to on that. The most important aspect about dialogue, though, when it comes to between characters, is just to make it sound natural. Your characters are talking just like you would. Well, depending on accent, I know I talk like a hick, and not all of my characters are hicks. I had one character that came from the Midwest. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I had one character that came from the Midwest and one character that came from California. I really had to clean up on the California one because I said an awful lot of things that she, she just wouldn't. I had to go through and search for all of the just because I, mm -hmm. I sprinkle my conversation with just like, like it was uh, jewelry or something. But, uh, yeah. but when it comes to the, the circumstances that they're given, you have to put on the skin of your character and figure out how they would talk to make it as natural yeah. as normal. Don't you think, Faye? I think so too, and I think that it's very important to to make it. And, and you, the way that most American writers make dialogue less stilted is simply add contractions read your dialogue aloud and see if we'll is better than we will or more natural put we'll in there we'll we'll go to the uh -huh. store not we will go to the store um another thing too is that dialogue at its core is information it's feeding the reader information, but there's an unspoken law among writers. We never, ever, ever, ever want the reader to know that we're feeding them information. So you uh -huh. mask the truth of dialogue as information with action and with deep point of view. And you all, and all every bit of dialogue has to move the story forward. So those are two very important things about, about dialogue that I wanted to bring forward. It's yeah, and you know one of the Yeah, you know one of the things about dialogue also, and this is just my personal opinion, my personal preference, but what you said is dialogue has to move the story forward. There are an awful mm -hmm. lot of people that seriously skim through books and I mean they're voracious readers. Writers, I hope you're paying attention because these voracious readers, they will scan through and read a book. I mean, literally inhale it in just a few hours, a full novel. Mm -hmm. It takes me about eight to ten hours, depending on how I'm reading it. But these, I have a friend that she will, she will go through three or four novels in the time that it takes me to get through one. And part of the way they do it is they read the dialogue they focus and they hop from dialogue to dialogue and they go back and they read uh, narrative sections that have something important in them. But most of the time they're catching the story by skipping through the dialogue. And so it is really important. And this is just, like I said, a personal preference. It is really important not to use he says, and she says, it is really important to use uh, uh, beats that further the story like Faye was saying so that the story is um it, it, and when i say tags and beats tags are he says she says he asks you don't really want to get too much more than whispered i mean it's it's a waste of time to get any deeper than that because for the most part readers look over them anyway but if instead you'll use beats as in uh instead of saying he said say um whatever it is that he said and then say you know he was twisting the phone cord uh yeah, at his mother's house cord, yeah. yeah yeah then you're giving me a setting you know or if he if he said this and he scratched his arm you're giving me a personal issue that he's that he's got or he or he ran his fingers through his head you're giving me an ad his fingers through his hair you're giving me an attitude that gives more to the story than just a simple tag um that those those beats are going to not just identify the reader but there are the the speaker but it's also going to add information to the story uh and, and, and so anyway that that that's just like i said that is just a 
personal preference, but to be honest, it is pretty much the preferred way right now. Now, I won't say that every author writes that way because they don't. I personally, in the last six books that I wrote, I think I only used two tags, period, in all of them. And, and I tend to, I might use a little bit more if I really don't have an action, but I like to, to pepper action and deep point of view rather than the attributes as well. Um, so we agree on that. Um, yeah. I, you just, you don't want to have a lot of he said, she said going down the thing because that does make your reader skip. You want to give them something that they can hang their eyes on as they're going through. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I guess now we're we're near wrapping up. I think you have some questions for me. So I just want to run through real quick, if you don't mind, the key elements of fiction that we spoke about are plot, pacing, conflict, character, deep point of view, showing and not telling, and dialogue. And the most right. important thing that you can take away from these um, blog talks is to understand that the, that the elements um, – that not everyone is going to use the elements to the same extent. And that is where the mystery of voice comes in, that elusive thing we try to describe. We must all learn to use them correct, correctly, like the basics in any art. How we place them on the canvas of our pages is what makes our work stand out for our readers. And some might not like my voice. They might prefer Margie's voice to mine. It's because Margie exhibits the elements in her story that draw that particular reader in. So Not today. Not today, Faye. I sound them. too much like a cold. <laughs> no, I have too no. much of a cold today. <laughs> Nobody's going to No, I'm teasing. I know you're talking about the writer voice, and that is really yeah. important. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead with what you're saying. I interrupted you. Oh, that's okay. That was, that was it. I just wanted people to understand that we don't expect – everyone to use the elements in quite the same way we do. We just want to learn the basics so that we can make them our elements. And we talked about some certain rules. Sometimes rules are made to be broken, but you can't break rules until you learn how until you to learn how to do them right. Yeah. Yes. That's, so you're exactly I've, I've right. I loved this talk. This has been, I, these, the story elements are like, I could talk about them forever because I feel that they're that important to what writers are doing today, that writers learn these elements so that they can produce stories that bring our industry such good stories that people are talking about Christian publishing and saying, hey, did you read Joni Deneve's new story? Did you read um, Elizabeth Noy's new story? And, and that they're, they're yeah. just talking us up because they can't put these books down. That's what because I they are, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Faye, I am so glad that you've been with me, on, been on this with me for the last, what has it been, let's see, September, October, four November, four months, four months. <laughs> are you going to stick around? So you're gonna come back in, I know, you're going to come back in January, say yes. Yes, I will, I'm, I'll be happy Yay! to. Yay, I'm so glad. So you guys heard it, Faye's going to be back in January. January 2nd is when we're going to meet again. Now, we do have some questions, but we are out of time. And so we love getting questions from you guys. If you have any or writing, please send them to us, downpublishinglane at gmail.com. Now, remember, Lane is my middle name, L-A-I-N-E. There's an I in it, L-A-I-N-E, downpublishinglane at gmail.com. Or you can leave a question for me on my website, margielane.com, same thing, L-A-I-N-E. You could leave it with Faye at faylam.com. Uh, Faye um, I'm sorry. I, well, and don't, do you have, okay, Faye, um, Faye is spelled without an E, by the way. You need to make sure that you do that. We hope to hear from you guys next month, January 2nd at 7 p.m. Central, right here. We'll be talking with Faye again. Woohoo! And I'm hoping to have a special guest from overseas joining us. I hope that you will join us as well. Goodbye, all, and I hope that you have a very blessed and Merry Christmas and a safe and wonderful New Year. May your months be filled with wonder of the season. Bless you guys. This has been Publishing Lane with 
your host, Margie Lane Klubine, Executive Director of Write Integrity Press. If you'd like to learn more about Margie and her publishing company, visit writeintegrity.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-I-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-Y dot com.